The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to lay his hand upon him. And taking him aside from the multitude privately, he put his fingers into his ears and he spat and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And he charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the dumb speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Before we begin, if we could just make sure that cell phones are turned off, please. Um, so today's Gospel, uh, according to Mark, so it's taken from chapter 7. What's happened, just to set the context of what the Lord is doing, is that uh, right before this, he's been in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he's healed the Syrophoenician or the Canaanite woman's daughter, the one who was possessed by the demon, and that's the woman who was interceding with Christ. And you remember that beautiful dialogue that they have where the Lord seems to be rebuking her, but he is drawing out from her this great act of faith. And eventually he says, woman, great is your faith, be it done as you desire. And then her, her daughter is liberated from the demon. And what's interesting, if you look throughout the Gospels, is you can pick up a particular theme that starts to happen with the healings of Christ. And we saw it in the Gospel of Luke, um, where we saw that he uh, liberated from the demon, and then he begins a healing, healings to do with the body, and then he goes on to teaching. And so this is a kind of recurrent, not always, but it is a recurrent pattern within the Gospels, where the Lord liberates from the demonic, then he might heal the body, and then he fills the soul with truth and wisdom and teaching. And what we see here is a kind of playing out of that same pattern where the Lord has liberated the young girl, the daughter, from the demonic oppression and from the possession that she was suffering. And now he will go and he will heal someone of their physical ailments. And after this, you'll have the gathering and the multiplication of the loaves where the Lord not only feeds, but also nourishes with his teaching and with his wisdom. And so um, everything that the Lord is doing, everything that he does is for our instruction. Every little detail of his life, the way in which he does things, the places in which he does things, the manner in which he heals, everything is for our contemplation. And everything can teach us things about God, about the nature of God, about truth, but also about the way in which he desires to heal 
not only on a physical level, but most especially on the interior level of the soul. And we know this because when the Lord has healed, um, we know if you go and you read this account, it's that he charges them that they do not speak about this often. So sometimes when he heals either lepers or someone who has a physical ailment, he tells them, look, don't go and proclaim this. And one of the reasons that I think is, is uh, one of the best reasons that the church fathers give is that the Lord doesn't want the physical healing to be placed over the spiritual healing. And so his mission, which is a mission first, as we see in the prophet Isaiah from the first reading today, which is that he comes to save. His first mission is the mission of salvation, and that is particularly of the soul and from sin. And then also he does work these miracles of healing of the body. And so what we see from the prophet Isaiah is first, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God comes with vengeance. He comes to save you. We see that mission and that intention of salvation of souls first and foremost. But then after that, it says, the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame shall leap, and the tongues of the dumb shall sing for joy. And so there is a physical healing, but also there is the healing of soul that has to be placed first and foremost. Spiritual healing over natural and physical healing. But the Lord works both. And so when he does uh, work a physical healing, sometimes this is what he will say, which he'll say, look, do not go and proclaim this because it is better if we bring souls to Jesus so that they can be saved rather than bring people to Jesus so that they can be physically healed because the salvation of soul is eternal. The healing of the body is only until death. And so it is a temporal healing that is chosen over an eternal healing. Now the Lord, again, he does work both and he does desire to do both, but he just wants that that order is kept the order of salvation of souls first, and then physical healing afterwards. And so then the way in which he also heals people from their physical ailments, he is also teaching about the interior healing of soul. And so that is why, for one of the reasons, why he doesn't heal all people in the same way. Like when they come to him, he doesn't always just say, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, be healed, and everyone goes away healed. Sometimes he speaks and says, be healed. Sometimes he lays his hands upon the person and they are healed. At other times, they simply touch the hem of his garment and they are healed. But in this scene, the Lord does so many interesting things. So he puts his fingers into the man's ears. And then he also takes some spit from his own mouth and he touches the tongue of the man. And then not only has he touched his ears and his tongue, but he also looks up to heaven and he groans. And then after he has groaned, he says, Ephatha, which is to be opened. So he not only speaks, but he touches, he looks to heaven, he groans, all of these elements telling us about the healing process that he is working, not only the physical and exterior, but also what he desires to do in the soul. And this is what a lot of the church fathers in their interpretation of the scene are looking at. Not only what the Lord did on the exterior level, but what does he desire to work on, their, on in the soul? And so their interpretations are very profound and very beautiful. And the first thing that they do is they say, okay, well, firstly, where is the Lord coming from and where is he going to? Because very often in scripture, those are the details that we have. We say the Lord is either coming from Jerusalem and he's going back up to Galilee, or he's going from Galilee to Jerusalem. 
But then even in that journey, he has options. Does he go along the Jordan or does he go along the coastal road? And sometimes he goes through uh, the, either of those two options. And all of those things are significant. And so what the church fathers see here is that the Lord is leaving the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so he's coming away from where he has been amongst the Gentiles, where he has liberated this uh, woman's daughter from the demon. And now he's heading back towards the Sea of Galilee, but not to the region where Capernaum and all of those areas are, but to the other side, to the Decapolis. And the Decapolis was over on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. And he's going into that region which also has uh, the Greeks and the Greek towns that are there. And so what one of the church fathers says is that the Lord is leaving what is a very uh, busy town. Tyre, and Tyre would have been a coastal town. It would have been a port. It would have had a lot of activity. It would have been wealthy, scenically beautiful at the time. It would have had everything that would have attracted it to you as a city. And the Lord leaves. He doesn't stay there long. He goes away from all of the busyness of Tyre, and he is going into a certain deserted region. And we know that many will follow him into this region because what happens after this is he feeds the multitude who have followed him into this kind of deserted place, right? And so in a certain sense, he is teaching his disciples, which is to avoid all of the busyness of the world and to go and to seek that seclusion, to seek that time away where there can be a refreshment of soul a reception of the wisdom of God and a contemplation rather of the things of heaven than the things of earth and to develop a taste for the things of heaven over a taste for the things of earth. And so he's going into this Decapolis region and this is also where he, remember, he liberated the two demoniacs when he had arrived on the shore here and the, they had gone out and they've obviously proclaimed to all the people of that region what has happened to them. And so as immediately whenever he returns there, they always bring him those who are sick because they know his power, they know what he is able to do. And so they bring him this deaf and this dumb man and one of the church fathers says that in the spiritual sense what this, what this represents is someone who is unable to hear the word and therefore unable to proclaim the word. So the ears are closed and the tongue is not loosed, it is not able to speak. And so it represents a soul that has not yet received the word, not yet received the wisdom of God, and therefore cannot speak the wisdom of God. And so the way in which then the Lord heals this man is very profound. So first he takes him aside privately, doing with this man what he has already done with his disciples, which is leave all of the busyness and go away to some type of seclusion. And so he takes this man away from the multitude and in private he begins the healing process. And for us also that is important in the spiritual life, which is we have to choose that. We have to choose to leave aside all of the other things and enter into that private conversation with Jesus Christ, which is our prayer, which is our healing of soul, which is the way in which he does restore us and heal us. And so he takes him away from the multitude privately and the first thing he does is he puts his fingers into his ears. St. Jerome, he says that the fingers of Christ represent what he will do by his spirit in the soul because the spirit is called the finger of God in scripture, right? The power of God, the finger of God. 
And so what you have here, what Christ is doing as he puts his fingers into this man's ears is a representative of what he will do with his spirit into the soul. That after his passion and death, by the reception of grace, when we are baptized, when we are, uh, receive that grace, that is what happens. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. We become disposed for the things of God by grace, right? And so the way in which the Lord heals the soul is first by the outpouring of his Holy Spirit into that soul through grace. And then what he does is he takes some spittle and he touches his tongue. So St. Jerome says that just as the finger of Christ represents his Holy Spirit, the spittle or that which comes from his mouth represents wisdom. And so the wisdom is then received into the soul. So not only is the Holy Spirit received into the soul, but also the wisdom of God, Christ himself, the word of God is received into the soul. And this is the completion of the healing process in the soul. So the way in which this man is healed exteriorly is teaching us about our interior healing. And so then once he touches his tongue, he looks up to heaven, right? He turns the attention back to the source of all things, which is the Father. And as he looks into heaven, he also groans. One of the church fathers says that what we see here is the Lord taking suffering upon himself. He groans as one suffering. And so he shows that the source of all healing that he will merit for us comes through his passion. And it is comes through his passion and his suffering, which is done not only for love of us, but for love of his heavenly Father, whom he is looking up towards, raising his eyes to heaven. And then he speaks not many words, but one word. He says, Ephatha, which means be opened. And so one of the other church fathers gives a very powerful interpretation of what happens here, which is that he speaks only one word. So like the father who speaks only one word, which is the son, and the son is that word which comes down from heaven and becomes incarnate and suffers and dies for us and heals us, so also what Christ shows now is that by one word, this man is healed. And by the reception of that one word, his ears are opened, his tongue is loosened, and he is able to rejoice in God. He's able to receive the word and to give the word. And that shows the fullness of his healing, which now he can then go on and reach perfection in that. So just to recap, this is what we are looking at which is the healing of Christ in ourselves and the things that we should look for in order for the Lord to be able to achieve that healing in us. To seek not the world, but the things of heaven and the things of God. To allow the Lord to pour his Holy Spirit into us, which is done through his sacraments. And if we ever lose that Holy Spirit because of mortal sin, we return simply to the sacrament of confession and we are filled again by that power of God, that Holy Spirit of God but then also to receive that spittle, that wisdom that comes from God, which is his son, which is the truth. And then also to receive him that word, that one word spoken by the heavenly father, the one that accomplishes our healing, Jesus Christ present to us here in Holy Communion. When we receive Holy Communion, we receive that one word. We receive the son, the son who is able to come into us and he comes to us wholly and completely, and he comes to us for our healing, but most especially for our salvation. Amen.